we just give you this time right now, and I really ask that you would speak today to us, that we would hear your voice, we would hear what you're doing, that we would get excited and passionate about the things that you're doing on earth right now, in our day, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are starting today um, a series on what are the Barnes values. And, you know, these are, these are areas that some of us on staff, probably all of us on staff, have studied over and over and over again. And it's part of us. It's part of us. It's been there right from the beginning of, of this church. We were, um, and today, well, let me show you what they are. Here's our values there. Encountering God, um, nurturing community, transforming lives, and living the adventure. And all four parts of this vision, that's what they really are. Our values are our vision, what we believe is God's vision for this church. Um, they, they flow, they flow together. For instance, you have encountering God, and we encounter God, and that goes into community. And then that flows into us, um, our lives changing. I, I look around here, and so many of your lives have changed. And I've been able to have the honor of seeing that over years. And then we live the adventure, because when you are transformed, you can't keep it to yourself. You can't keep it within these four walls. You just naturally, supernaturally want to take it outside of these four walls. So today, we're, we're going a little bit out of order here. I'm going to be teaching on nurturing community. And the reason is that it's small group fair um, day to day. And we're, we're going to be, um, I'm going to be talking about small groups and the power of small groups. You know, originally, um, when, we first started, when we first started the barn, when Bruce and I first started it, we called um, this place Newark Christian Fellowship, or Newark Christian Community. And we started in Newark, which is why it was called Newark. Um, Christian Community, we didn't want to call it church. And the reason being is when we looked at the churches around us, what we saw were institutions. What we saw were people coming out just once a week in a big corporate worship time, which is really good. That's important. But we didn't see people closely connected. It looked more to us like an organization. And we really wanted community. And that's what we felt God had told us to make was community. And so today we're going to go right back to the early church and look at that. What did that look like? And there were some incredible things that happened at Pentecost. Real miracles. I mean, I would love to have been there when that rushing wind hit that upper room with those 120 people. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I think it's even a miracle that those, that those 120 people waited for that for 10 days. Can, can you imagine? I mean, in our society, can you imagine a bunch of us just getting together and waiting for 10 days for something to happen while we just agreed together and prayed and sought God? I mean, that's a miracle. That's amazing. And, you know, so, and then the flames on the head, you know, I don't really know what that looked like, but whatever happened in that upper room was so astounding and so loud that it caused the people from the outside to want to see what was going on. So those were all miracles. But I, I honestly feel another huge miracle 
was the fact that on that day, the church was born. And it didn't look like the church nowadays. Nowadays, The church that was born then had such an incredible unity. Some people call it a mystical unity. It was such, you know, 5,000 people, um, men were saved. And what that really means is if there were 5,000 men, some people think that altogether with women and children, it it could have been about 20,000 people were saved. Can you imagine what that would be like if today, right now in this church, 20,000 people got saved and we had to do something about that? Like, I can't, even, I can't even imagine it. But one of the major things about the early community was that they loved each other and had this unity. You know, one of the reasons people get together, the main reasons, is that, you know, birds of a feather flock together. It's they have something in common. Um, you know, maybe they, they grew up together or maybe they... They work together. Maybe they make the same income together, that same amount of money, or, you know, um, maybe they're the same ethnic group. But we tend to go with people who are like us. But the church is different. The church is radically different than that. Um, When the church comes together, we are all different economic levels, we come from different places, different cultures. It's, it's really incredible. Um, look at this, this verse, and this is one of my favorite verses, really one of my favorite verses from 1 Peter. Remember, Peter was very prejudiced against anybody who was not Jewish. And look at how he radically changed here. But you are a chosen people, and that word New American Standard gets it right. It actually means a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare, get this, they're they're a special people, a chosen people, a chosen race, and this is what comes out of that, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, But now, you are the people of God. I I just love this. I especially love the word that it says we are now a chosen race. Because what that is saying is that those barriers between ethnic groups have been broken down. That we, and this is so important nowadays. You know, we're in a country now where sometimes I feel like, like this flow of hate, this permission has come into our country to say whatever we want to say about anybody, about any race, about any ethnic group, about any people, about any groups, that we're allowed to say whatever we want. But you know what? We as believers, followers of Jesus, are not allowed to do that. Understand that, that we are a different chosen people of God. And we, we believers love each other no matter what our ethnic group is, no matter what our group, any group. We love each other. Um, you know, my ID, I, I, I love the fact that my dad came from, came, was an immigrant and came from Italy. Um, but that is not my primary 
ID. That's not my primary identification. My identity is that I'm part of God's people. I'm part of God's people. That is my primary identity. That's what brings me together with all of you who call Jesus your Savior. That's, and it might be easier for me because I'm not close to my family of origin. So for me to, you know, God says in Scripture that he refamilies people. I was refamilied. So it might be easier for me than it is for some of you where your family identity actually is your family of origin. But for me, I get it. I've gotten it right from the beginning that I, God actually placed me into a new, a new family that is all different colors, all different economic levels, all different kinds of people. Everything that, that um, Tom talked about this morning I am a part of a people group that really matters to God. I'm his special possession. We together are his special possession. You know, if I were to ask any of you, what did Jesus come to earth to do? What What was his call? What was his mission? Probably you would say, like I would say, Jesus came to save me. He he died for me. He set me free. He cleansed me from my sins. He took my sins. And I have new life because of him. But you know, that's a very individual, individually oriented good news. And that is not all God that did. And that is not all God wanted to do. From the beginning of time, his desire was to have a people. A people. So I really wanted to look at the, at the characteristics of the early church. And this is taken from Acts 2, 42 to, um, 42 to 47. But we're not going to read it. I'm going to just tell you about it. Okay. First of all, there were thousands and thousands of salvations. Thousands. Um, the first 25 years, people estimate that the church grew from 120 to 50,000 people. There, there were some amazing traits of these people, these original people. They met daily. They met daily. They, went, they did corporate worship daily. That's what this is. This is important. They did this daily. And then they met in homes daily. That's what we called home, home groups um, they did that daily. Their homes weren't as big as ours. They were probably the size of an office. So their groups were small. And they met daily, and they ate together, and they took communion. And this was important to them. You know, nowadays, um, attendance in churches in our country are for corporate worship is twice a month. That's regular. And... For home church, for home groups, oftentimes it's 50% for the churches that even do home groups. So, you know, the idea of community and what happened then and what happens now is so incredibly different. You know, corporate worship is important. I mean, people get healed during corporate worship. Um, you know, when, when, when there's lots of people gathered together God is there, and incredible things happen, miracles, and, you know, we, we sense this 
bonding together and we meet the presence of God. However, it's in small groups that people mature and grow. That's where we practice being a believer. Um, Now think of this. All these people, thousands of people, came to Jerusalem, got saved, and then they stayed. Okay, so think about that. And so one of the things that happened was that the believers started sharing all that they owned. There was a need. They shared their homes. They shared their food. They shared their clothing. They shared their possession. Um, They shared everything. They were devoted to four things, and that word means continued persistently, day by day, persistently. Um, And these were the things, learning about Jesus. They learned about Jesus continually. So they loved teaching. They loved fellowship, kononia, which is partnership and caring about each other. goes way beyond just small talk. It's much deeper than that. The breaking of bread, and some people believe that's communion, that they practice daily in their, in their houses, but communion was almost always connected with eating a meal together. So they had meals together. You know, when, when I was first saved, I was, I was in a community. I, I transferred from Dickinson College to University of Delaware. As I've told you many times, Bruce broke up with me the, the day I got here, the night I got here. So I knew nobody here. I wasn't a believer, and, and in fact, I, I mocked Christianity. I thought I had been brought up as a Christian, and I didn't like it, and um, it was a form of religion that I felt was totally irrelevant to my life. So here I am at a university. I know nobody, and the believers there were incredible. They, they came by to see me every single day, They loved me. They cared for me. They gave me things. I remember they gave me a pair of middens during the winter. And, you know, I was a rich kid. I didn't need a pair of middens. And it was, it actually floored me that they felt I needed a pair of middens for the wintertime. It actually broke me. And this group was so much fun that I actually hung around them. I even lied at one point when somebody asked me, when I was in this little group, asked me how I'd become a believer. Well, I knew all the right words. I even lied about how I'd become a Christian because I didn't want to be thrown out of this group. And it was an amazing group, and it was a daily experience. And I remember exactly when I became a Christian, but it was after several months of being in this group that just cared about me so much. Now, they were not like me. In fact, some were irritating. Some were, you know, from different walks of life, different culture, but they showed me love, and I became part of that group, and that's what drew me. What drew me was not um, the corporate worship, which they did bring me to that. What got to me was watching this community love each other, That's what got to me. Now, they had, coming in, this big group that came into Jerusalem that got saved. Go to the next one, please. They were, there were 15 different ethnic groups coming together. And you can read all those. But the point I want to make is, this was not easy. There were tons of people coming in that got saved that were from all different cultures and spoke 
different languages. Now, this community that formed, the church that formed, were liked by all the people around them. They were amazed at how much they loved each other. And this is my opinion, but I feel out of this community came signs and wonders. It was out of that. And, and looking at history and looking at revivals, this is my opinion, and I have to study it more, but a lot of the amazing revivalists have had a small group. They've had that, and they've had the love and the care and all that, and out of that came the signs and wonders. You know, revivals are not just my belief, I know it's controversial, but they're not just a sovereign move of God. It's not just God says, oh, we're going to have a revival right now. Boom. That's not how it seems to happen. What seems to happen is a small group gets together and starts praying for revival and starts doing the things that that the community of God did in the early days. And then revival hits. So we play a part in this. Um, You know, I look at the early church and even the experiences I had in college where it really was easy to be a community, you know, proximity and all that. And I look at our modern church and the conclusion I reach is that the kind of community that God wants goes far beyond what we have today. And, you know, I, I don't say that with judgment. I say that with sadness. And, and I wonder how we're able to get what we all live today to a place where we are in vibrant community. What is, it going to, what is it going to take to do that? I don't know. I'm just throwing the question out there. Um, but how does God feel about community? First of all, next slide, please. God is community. And I'm not going to go into this. Theologians... I'm not a theologian, but I believe this. We teach the Trinity here. Um, But in the beginning, even in the first three verses of Scripture in Genesis, we see God the Father, and he wants to create. He wants to create. He is the creator. He's the designer of all things. And then we have the Holy Spirit hovering. I love that word hovering. I don't exactly know what it means but I feel like it's like a nursemaid. It's like, it's like a, a protection. It's like, oh, I don't know. I just love the Holy Spirit, so it's a good thing. It's just, he's just there surrounding it. And then God the Father speaks the word, and we know from John that the word is Jesus. And so the word gets spoken, and Jesus goes out into all, everything and all the creation. And so right from the beginning, we see this community. We don't see God as a solitary, lone figure. He is God in three persons. Do I understand that? No, I don't. But I do know that's what's taught, and I do love the idea of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in community. I love that. And then, next slide, please. When God makes the first human, he makes Adam. And he looks at Adam, and for the first time, he's been saying everything's good, and he looks at Adam, and he says, this isn't good. Now, this is before the fall, before sin, and the reason he says that is because God is community. That is what he is. So when he creates, when he creates people, what comes out of him, the substance, is community. 
So when he looked at Adam, he said, something's wrong here. This isn't all my substance. I need community. This needs to be community to look like me. And so that's why he created Eve, so that there, and she wasn't a helper, she wasn't an assistant. The word actually means a rescuer for this state of affairs. He had to have this community. And then he said, what did he say to them? Be fruitful. In other words, I want a people. I want a people. Be fruitful. So community comes out of God because that is who he is. Now Jesus, who we know is the exact representation of God, we know that from Hebrews, Jesus loves community. Uh, Let's go to the next slide, please. Okay. He loves community. And here there was one point in his time, is before he started, just as he was starting his ministry, the Pharisees, we're told in Scripture, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are watching him. They're seeing, what is this guy going to do? Is he a threat? They're starting to worry about him. And Jesus' response is to go up into the mountains and pray all night. And then what he does is come, come down off that mountain, and he chooses his disciples from out of the disciples, the many disciples that had been already following him. In other words, this was the first small group. He created his first small group. He knew that for him to do all that he was supposed to do on earth, that he could not be alone, that he had to have a small group with him. So then he takes that, so this is nighttime he prays, morning he goes out, and has and chooses his small group, and then in the afternoon he ministers with his small group there surrounding him. And at every important part of Jesus' ministry, he sent people out in small groups, even for errands, even for practical things, he sent them out by two. But they were never by themselves. It was always sending them out by two or three or groups of bigger than that. But it was always a small group. So, okay, so then there's another story where um, the Pharisees get together, and they want to trap Jesus. They want to trap him. And they, they've already seen Jesus outwit the Sadducees, and so they want, they're getting together. And it says right in there, he wants, they want to trap him. So they come to them, him, and they say, Jesus... What's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest one? They think they're going to catch him here because there's so many commandments that they had. And Jesus, who never answers like you think he's going to, comes up with two commandments. This is what he says. Thank you. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second commandment is equally important. Do you get that? That, that word, um, which I can't pronounce, that Greek word, actually means equal, okay? It doesn't mean just like. I know people see this as this is the first commandment, this is the second. It means equal. Um, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. 
So what, what Jesus is saying here is when you encounter God, when you are part of God's kingdom, what flows out of you is loving people. The two are together. And in fact, if you don't love people, you probably should, could, should look at the fact that maybe you're not encountering God because his substance, what comes out of him, is love. So if we love God and, that, and, and he comes and dwells within us, what flows out is loving people. That's what happens. That's what happens, and that's what Jesus is saying there. Jesus' life demonstrated this community way of life. When Jesus knew that he was headed towards death that last week, that horribly tragic last week of his life, he gathered everybody together that last night. He had what we call the Last Supper. And it was a tense night. The disciples knew something was up. They didn't know what was up, but they knew something was up. They knew they were in trouble with the government. They knew that things were happening very quickly. And there was a lot of sadness. And talk about stress. There was a lot of stress. And Jesus prayed out loud so that they would hear him. And this is how he prayed. I'll go next one, please. Yeah, thanks. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one, which is really interesting language there, as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity. Now get, here's the flow again. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Go to the next slide, please. This is Francis Schaeffer, a theologian. Many of people don't know him anymore, but he wrote this. Our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. You're being watched. You're being watched. As soon as people know that you're a follower of Jesus, you're being watched. And the best thing that you can show people is how you live in community. It's the best way. There are a couple, there are many obstacles to being part of a small group. I'm only going to take two of them. Um, One of them is that one of the things that happened after the fall was that we hid ourselves from God, but I also think we, people, or I think Adam and Eve, hid themselves from themselves and as people came along from other people. I think there is a real intense feeling in ourselves to hide from other people. Um, So it's really, really important that whatever your issues are in getting together with other people, that you bring them to Jesus and have them take that barrier down because this is the major way that you can show that you are a believer on earth. You know, Jesus um, did not have an easy small group. I know that some people tell me, I, I, I oversee the small groups, I hear, I hear some of the stories, and I know that small groups sometimes can be difficult. 
Jesus' small group was really difficult. He had a tax collector, Matthew. He worked for the Roman government. And then you had, you had um, Simon the Zealot, who was political, anti-establishment, and hated the Roman government. His peace people that he came from assassinated tax collectors. And then you had Peter, who was really impulsive and loudmouthed and brazen, and you didn't know from one minute or another whether he was going to be loyal. And then you had um, John and James. They weren't called sons of thunder for no reason. I don't, they were abrasive, they wanted to be first, they were arrogant, and they were unmerciful. Um, Judas, Jesus knew from the beginning that he was going to betray him. And yet he invited him to be part of his small group and loved him. You see, there is always... There's always going to be somebody in church or your small group that you think's weird. It's just the truth. But I'm going to tell you something honestly true. You, may, you are probably someone else's weird person. It's just the truth. And see, something happens. Something happens when God chooses your small group. See, and this is what, you know, sometimes people will say to me, you know, I just want to get together with my friends or I just want to get together with my family. Look, I get that. One of my highest, if I, I did a needs assessment once, one of my highest needs is to be with my family, my, my kids, my grandkids. I get that. But you are not going to have transformation nearly as much in that group as you will in a small group. That is the honest truth. And if family and friends are the only only small group that you're part of, you're not going to be transformed nearly as much or matured nearly as much that being in a small group where that weird person is, and you may have weird people in your family too, but where that weird person is, that you have to forgive and learn to love. It changes us, and it causes us to practice, and it causes us to go with the Lord. You know, um, I love John Wesley. I think John Wesley is, is a fantastic guy. And he, all the small groups that you see in secular society now, like AA and all those, came originally from John Wesley. Do you understand? 1742, all those are based on what he did because of the excess, success of the small group groups that he set up if you became a Methodist. And in fact, if you didn't go to small group, you couldn't be a Methodist. You had to be in a small group because he understood that for people's growth and discipleship, they had to be in a small group. And what his, he had one simple, met one hour a week, and the, what they, the main thing they asked is, how is your soul? Now, there, is a, there was a time when Jesus was ministering, and his brothers and mother had heard that he wasn't eating properly, and he wasn't, wasn't eating properly, and he was, like, really busy. Now, this is a 33-year-old man in a society where that was at least middle age, if not older. And so his mother and brothers, his mother was probably set up by his brothers, who weren't kind to him when, he, when Jesus was on earth, and decided to come and get him out of that, and talk some sense to this guy, okay? Now, there. 
And read the the red letters there. This was Jesus' reply. He did not leave to go talk to his mother and brothers. He said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. He changed the meaning. He extended the meaning of family right there. He's not against family. But if family is your highest priority, it's a problem. It's a problem. Because you need to have people surrounding you, to be praying for you and caring for you. In conclusion, look at this verse here. Hebrews. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We are designed to live in relationship. We all need that. Somebody needs to know your name and somebody needs to be praying for you and caring for you and loving you. And you need to be doing that for other people. It's, it's two ways. It works that way. So today's small group pair, um, you can come out and look. I would encourage you, even if you are in a small group, go around and just even thank the small group leaders that are going to be there. Thank them for opening their houses and doing this. Um, So I'm actually leaving. Bruce is going to close up because I'm going to leave to get out there. And small group leaders, can you stand? Are you still in here? You're probably out there. Okay, stand. Small group leaders, bless you. Bless you. You notice how often Lynn loves to tell the story of when she came to the University of Delaware, I immediately abandoned her. Notice that that's a repetitious uh, theme in her teaching. uh, Deep, deep wound. There is such a thing as healing, my dear. Well, the first thing I'm going to do today is I'm going to make a call forward for those of you who feel like you are uniquely gifted to uh, carry on the ministry of being the weird person in a small group. No, I'm not. (laughs) Let's stand together. God, we thank you for this teaching. (laughs) And for that, on that note, Lord, we... We thank you for um, the truth of your word concerning the power of small groups, Lord. And indeed, the early church did meet in the temple and from house to house on a regular basis. And that was true years after the initial outpouring of the Spirit. So, God, we thank you for that. And we pray that we in this church would conform to that anointed pattern that we would in in freedom to form the groups and, and to be part, Lord, but we would be part of small groups in this church, Lord. I pray for everyone in the church here, Lord, is committed here to be part of at least one small group. Some of us are part of more than one. God, and we thank you for, for that as well, God, and we just pray that would, that would take place, that would happen, that this truth would lodge itself in us as individuals and in us as a family here, at the barn vineyard that we could indeed display to the people the love that you showed us, Lord, that they would know that you were sent by the Father. So we praise you and we thank you, God, 
what you've done among us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Prophetic ministry. I feel like if you are in confusion in your life, 